this morning, I, I jumped ahead a little bit. You might say, Pastor, we weren't Mark chapter 10 last week. No, we weren't. We, we jumped ahead a little bit uh, and uh, just to get us kind of set up for Easter, okay, and with this portion of Scripture in Mark chapter number 11, and we're going to start reading verse number 1. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as ye, in, as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord have need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways meet. And they loosed him. And certain of them stood there, said unto them, What do ye? Loosing the colt. And they said unto them, Even as the, uh, the Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him. And he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way. And others cut down branches of the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked around about upon all things, and now the evening time was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another time we have to be together. And Lord, I pray that you would calm our hearts. Lord, there are so many things that can come into our minds during a time of reflection on your word and being the word being preached. Lord, steady, steady and stabilize our, our minds so that we, we concentrate on Your Word. I know there's many things that take it away, Lord, our, our thoughts. and Lord, help our hearts and minds to be set upon You. And Lord, I pray You be with me. Lord, allow me to preach Your Word with power and truth. I pray these things in Your holy and precious name. Amen. Behold the King is the title of the message this morning. We have reached a pivotal point in the book of Mark here. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. And I tried to imagine that this week, but it, it's like, I can't really do it. I've seen pictures, but I'm sure it looked amazing. Wonderful. And Jesus had been here numerous times before. He'd been to the city many times. And He descends from the Mount of Olives on this day, and He'd be setting into motion certain events that will climax with His death on the cross and then His resurrection from the dead. Amen? That's what it's all about, the resurrection from the from dead. He, he's no longer dead. He's alive. He's in no tomb. I better watch out. That's next Sunday's sermon, isn't it? That's next Sunday. He's not in a tomb. But now He's setting it all up here in this chapter. And in this, this portion of Scripture marks the beginning of the Lord's Passion Week. That's a term we've heard often. Uh, and upon this point in Jesus' ministry, He always had told His disciples and His men to keep His identity close to them. Not to spread it around. When Jesus had healed people, how many uh, folks have we seen in Mark 
that he is healed, helped in some manner, and he says, don't tell anybody. Now, some people, most of them are not really going to keep the secret, are they? They go blabbing it anyway. But now, it's no longer keep quiet. Now, the strategy changes. Now, now the change of operations begins. Now, he begins to draw attention to himself. And why the change? Have you ever been with somebody and they act one way and you think that's normal and they act a different way and you're like, what changed with him or her? Why the change with the Lord here? He does so because now he's fulfilling prophecy. Now, he had already done it, but now it's getting close to the end with his death and now he begins to present himself to the nation of Israel as their king. Hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Zechariah penned these words, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, having salvation, lowly, riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Zechariah 9.9 Jesus is to fulfill this in every letter of detail. And I know there's some precious truths here for us this morning. I hope you'll take them. First of all, we see the first six verses here. The person of the sovereign. The person of the sovereign. As we watch the Lord interact in these verses, we catch a glimpse of His greatness, of His glory, of who He is. In this early in the morning, uh, or sometime in the morning, Jesus is making preparations to go to Jerusalem, and He moves through two villages. That's recorded for us in verse number 1. Uh, Bethage, which means a house of unripe figs, and Bethany means the house of dates. Jesus had some dear friends in Bethany, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, with whom he had stayed in his last days on earth. He stayed with them in that area. Uh, in fact, Jesus had performed one of his greatest, most outstanding miracles of his time when he raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. Now, Jesus stands in the Mount of Olives. He's looking and he's preparing to descend in the city below him from the top of that mountain, which is about 2,600 feet above sea level, Jesus could see all the city of Jerusalem in all its glory, all its beauty. Amazing sight. I hope someday I... I know, actually, if you know Jesus Christ, you say, if you're going to see Jerusalem, you know that. The Word of God tells you that you'll see it. But I wouldn't mind seeing it in this life either. Uh, but it'd be amazing just to see just all the beauty that spreads out before. Now, historians say that uh, the city of Jerusalem, at this point in time, had about 80,000 people in it. Now, this is a week before the Passover, and during the Passover, I, I really this is unbelievable numbers, and I, I'm not sure how they could generate these numbers, but historians and scholars say that between 2 and 3 million people would come to celebrate. That's a lot of people showing up in a city that only handles 80,000 on a regular day. That place would be packed. There would be tents everywhere. There would be people everywhere, all over the place. And these people were coming with anticipation. They were looking for God to do something there while they were there. And God was about to do the greatest work at this Passover, and the vast majority missed it altogether. Jesus chose this moment to reveal Himself to the nation of Israel. He chose this moment... To let Israel know their king has showed up. Their king is here. He had arrived. We see some things. Uh, uh, he sends two of his disciples to a village to, to find a, a young donkey, that uh, a colt. 
And he tells them where to, to find it and, and that the people will be standing around it and, and that they you know, tell them the details. He tells them the details of the animal. And, and when his men go to get this, the, the, the donkey to fulfill the assignment, it goes exactly how Jesus told them to do it. How did Jesus know that? Some writers suggest that Jesus had already known, had known the owners and sent it all up. So Jesus set it up beforehand. Well, you know, it's true. He did, but not the way the writers are thinking. He's sovereign, amen. He knew exactly where it was. He knew exactly where the owners would be. He knew exactly everything. He didn't set it up physically. He set it up because he was sovereign. I am the ruler of this world. I created it. And this brings us back to the reality that God is in control. He is in control of knowing where a donkey is that he would use. He is in control of this world. We, that encourages me. And that proves that he is God. Another evidence. You know, people say, give me evidence. Well, here's one. Really simple one. I don't need to go into the beginning math equation. Where God says this is what happened. I believe the word of God. This is another proof. Now, we're not told which two donkeys or sorry, those disciples are going to be mad at me when I get to heaven. I just call don- uh, disciples donkeys. Uh, but which two disciples went to get the donkey? Okay. Uh, I'm glad I don't know who they are right now. Uh, they went to go get the donkeys. We don't know their names, do we? We don't know anything about these guys. Who are they? And I think there's a little um, little thought here for us. It doesn't matter who does it. We're doing it for the Lord. Those disciples were told to go get... Yes, sir. They went and did it, came back, and God was glorified. Now, these two men, I wondered, did they complain? I'm going to go get a donkey. Lord, there's got to be something better. I mean, let me cook supper for you or breakfast, whatever. I have to go find a donkey? I don't, I don't know how to do that. There's so many, I mean, this is a dirty assignment. We don't want, it's kind of like, I don't want to clean the bathrooms at church. Daniel, you still have to do it, okay, Daniel? You don't get away with that, okay? The reality is that we're, we're human, right? They're human. They probably complained about the assignment. But they didn't realize that they were involved with something so much bigger than themselves. Hey, if we are working for Jesus Christ, if we are here this morning laboring for Jesus, this is way bigger than us. It is. This isn't about Pastor Alcock building an empire. It's not about whoever you are sitting in the pew this morning at Mississauga National Baptist Church. This is about Jesus. That's what it's about. And if it's anything else, you're doing it for the wrong reason, my friend. It's for Jesus. This is way bigger. These verses also demonstrate the power. Look at verse number 2. Let's read these two verses again. And he says unto them, Go your way into the village uh, over against you. And as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied where uh, on never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him thither. Say ye 
So the Lord's demonstrating His power and authority here now. He's saying, Say ye the Lord have need of Himself. Jesus has called Himself Lord. This is a statement of His authority and of His, of his power in this situation. You know what? He's still Lord today. He's still Lord today. He still possesses all authority, whether men recognize it, whether men bow to Him, whether if men on high mock Him, whether people in the gutters mock Him, He is still Lord. Doesn't matter. I'll be honest, folks. I'm very concerned for our country and the leadership that we have. But those who sit in the high power of the Canadian government, they will still bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Because He is Lord. Doesn't matter. He is Lord. And there will come a day that all knees will bow. My, my encouragement to you is don't wait for a later day. Bow the knee today and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. It changes everything. It changes everything. So they, they go out and get it. And in verse number three, they, they tell him that the Lord have need of him. And, and they give him the donkey and stuff. You just think about that. So we're talking that the Lord is, Jesus is Lord. He's all powerful. He has all knowledge. Why does he have need of anything? It's a paradox. It's a paradox. He was rich yet he became poor, right? For us. He owned everything. He possessed everything. He created the stars, yet he had nowhere to lay his head. He created every drop of water that exists in the world, yet he cried, I thirst, as he was dying on the cross. He created every tree, but He died on the cross. He was rich, yet He made Himself poor for us, for all those that would believe in Him. For all. Straightway, He he would send Him thither. The Lord says, I'll send Him back. In other words, Jesus tells His men to tell the people who own the donkey that He'll return the property as soon as He is through with it. Now, there's some interesting little parallels here with the donkey. I mean, I'm pretty sure I've heard people preach a message about this donkey, uh, but I just want to give you a couple parallels. When that donkey came back, it was better than when it left, right? It certainly was. When he left, when that donkey left, I can almost, <laughs> I don't know, my imagination sometimes gets better than me, and I'm thinking through this story, and I almost can see those uh, two disciples like pulling this donkey. Come on! we got to go see the Lord! Come on, donkey! Because no one's ever ridden on him before, right? So he's unbroken. He wouldn't be necessarily excited about going with a bunch of guys somewhere. When he comes back, he's ready for the saddle. He's totally different. He's changed. He's un- he was unbroken when he went. When he came back, he was broken. <clears throat> you ever notice that's what Jesus does? He changes us. He changes us. We come to Him and He gives us something far better in return. Listen, I could have stayed on April 1st, 1996. I could have said, no, I'm not going to have Jesus. I'm going to do it my way. And I could have kept doing it my way. I guarantee you it would not have been as good as what I have it right now. You might say, well, you could have had other cars or a place. Yeah, maybe. But what's that in eternity? What's that in the space of a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Creator of this world? What's that when I would have faced trials and troubles just like everybody else without the Lord? Oh no, that life cha- that changed me that day and He gave me something way better, amen? Way better. I think some folks in the Bible like that. Abraham, you know, he was lost. But he followed God. 
became it was Abram at first, and then became Abraham, a mighty man of faith. Because Saul Tarshish, man, he was mean, he was cruel. <clears throat> God gave back Paul, mighty power, mighty mighty servant of God. Thinking Simon, a weak, vacillating man, and we get back Peter, a rock for Jesus. Hey, give your life to the Lord and see what happens. He will change you. He will make you into things. Give Him your broken, sin-scarred life and He will give back to you a new start. And above all that, He'll give you eternity with Him in heaven. That's amazing. It's unbelievable. That's how much He loves you. The introduction of the sovereign in verse number 7. And they brought the cult to Jesus and cast their garments on Him and He sat upon Him. And many spread their garments in the way. And others... Uh, uh, cut down branches of the trees and strawed them in the way. And they and they went before, saying, that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he that come in the name of the Lord. Disciples go and get that donkey. They return to Jesus and they put their garments on that beast in place of a saddle. They didn't have a traditional saddle, so they put the clothes there. And Jesus climbs up on this donkey that had never been ridden before and starts his journey down in Jerusalem. The fact that Jesus sat on that donkey and was able to walk into the city of Jerusalem is a miracle of itself. No one will ever read him before, and down he goes. So it shows us his domain over creation, amen? He is the creator. The king of Israel is about to present himself to the nation of Israel, just like Zechariah 9.9 tells us that he is lowly. Jesus is filling that prophecy. We see a humble man on the back of a humble beast making a humble declaration of who He is. Now imagine. So go back with me, back to that time period. Okay, We're going to go back to when Jesus was coming in Jerusalem. He's surrounded by throngs of people. The roadways weren't huge like we have today. There were small paths really, but they would have been fairly large going in Jerusalem, going to one of the main gates. And the people are waving palm branches. Not swords. He's sitting... On old coats, not on a new saddle. He's riding a, a donkey, a little donkey. Not a beautiful, majestic stallion. Guess who was on the walls of Jerusalem that day looking down at this procession? The Romans. Romans were in charge of Jerusalem now. You know, the garrison would have been on the walls watching. I mean, I'm sure there would have been heightened security because now there is millions of people in Jerusalem who don't like the Romans. So they're, they're very aware of what's taking place. They're watching. And I can't help to think that some of those Roman soldiers look down from the ramparts there and looking down and, what is that? What is, what is that? You see that? What is going on down there? Ha ha ha, that is, that is so foolish! Because the Roman soldiers, some of them, I don't know if all of them, but some of them might have seen much greater parades of the Romans. If they had not seen it, they had heard about it. They had a parade called the Roman Trumphus. In those great celebration, the victorious Roman general would return from a far-off battle, and, and usually on the, the borderlands, keeping away the hordes that were trying to get into the Roman Empire, and he would come back with vast amounts of spoils of war. 
Defeated kings would be led in front and, and chained with his soldiers, those who were still alive from the march back from the vast faraway fields. And the victorious army would walk through their, their, their armor all polished, looking their best and in step. And you can almost hear the, the clanging of the armor as they went through the city and the roar of the people. And the victorious general will be riding on the finest chariot pulled by the greatest stallions that the Roman Senate had. And then the vibration of the city would be alive, it would be electric. People would be cheering, this is our victor! This is He who's destroyed them. And the Romans see this. This, this guy riding on a donkey. What is that? That's a joke to them. Well, I'm sure they were laughing up on the ramparts and nudging their buddies. Oh, but they didn't know what was yet to come, did they? That little procession was just the beginning. The events that began that day, you know, the Roman Empire would fade away, wouldn't it? One day the Romans would be the ones being laughed at. One day this lowly king would bring all the world to its knees. You know, the, uh, in order to get that triumphant uh, parade in Rome, I did a little research and they said some, there's some uh, controversy about it, how much, how much they would have to earn or get spoils, but it seems to be about 5,000 men would have to be killed, that you would have to kill 5,000 enemies to be able to be awarded this uh, parade through Rome. Hey, you know, it wasn't very long after this procession, this humble procession into Jerusalem, that 8,000 bowed the knee to Jesus Christ and were saved. It wasn't long after that that it spread right around the world. Amen? It all begins here. Look at this crowd again. Who, who are these people waving their palm branches before Jesus? We're not given any names of the people. Well, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the folks that we have seen in Scripture were there as well. I don't have a doubt in my mind that Mary and Martha were there. And I have no doubt in my mind that Lazarus was there. Could you imagine the friendship that Lazarus and Jesus has? Come forth, Lazarus. Can you, can you imagine that at your tomb you find out after that Jesus was crying for you? He cries for you too. He loves, for, he loves every one of us, amen? The same. Was there. Maybe Zacchaeus, the tax collector, was there. Maybe the, the former blind Bartimaeus or whoever it might be. They were there. They were praising God. They've been delivered. They were healed. And they were ministered to by Jesus Christ. And they were praising Him. You know what? I'm part of that parade too today. I'm praising the Lord for what He's done in my life. He's done great and marvelous things. He saved me, amen. He, he, he provided salvation and I accepted it and I'm saved and eternally His. Uh, you know, He's provided for my family, for my wife, uh, for our church. There's a great amount of things to praise Him for. I'm proud of that parade. I hope you are too. That you're praising His name. And, and, and that, that parade's pretty long. It makes what the Romans did look like child's play. 
There's been so many people who follow Jesus Christ. There's so many people praising His name. Are you one of them? And if you're here today as a Christian and, and, you, and you've got yourself a real uh, bee in your bonnet, you can't praise the Lord, you need to get to this altar today. And you need to get it right with the Lord. Because our Savior deserves our worship every day. He deserves our praise every day. Every day we need to praise Him. As the crowds descend the slopes of Mount Olives and Mount of Olives there, they begin to praise the Lord. I read that part of that verse in verse 9. And, and they cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David and that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest! Now, I'm told that this is a song, and they call it the singing and practicing antiphonal. So people in the front would say a part, and people in the back would answer them. So I don't know exactly how the verse is broken up. Maybe it's Hosanna in the front and the back would say, Blessed be His name! And this is how they were singing as they went in there. And the word Hosanna means save now. It was a cry for the Messiah to deliver His people. It's much like uh, we would hear like, Hallelujah! Same idea that you were praising the Lord and looking to Him. The, pray, the people are praising the name of the king just as the psalmist predicted they would back in Psalm 118. The people were exalting Jesus as their king. And they were absolutely right. He is the king. Now, Mark doesn't relay this to us in his uh, accord or his resurrection of the, the Lord and the ministry. But in Luke, it tells us that the Pharisees, maybe they were up on the wall with the soldiers, and they were none too pleased with this. They were upset. They did not like to see this demonstration. They wanted Jesus to tell His followers to stop their shouting. This is recorded for you in Luke chapter 19. You want to look it up. And Jesus tell them that the people were to hold their peace. The very rocks would cry out. You, they, no, if you stop them, the creation's going to give me praise. Now, we're commanded to praise Him. We have every reason to praise Him this morning, Christian. Every reason. Shame on us if we can't find the courage and the reason to praise Him. Because we have the reason and we should have the courage to do it. We shouldn't. I mean, as much as that sounds amazing, the rocks will cry out. Why would I leave it to the rocks to claw and praise the Lord? I should do it. You should do it. We should be the ones praising God's name. I understand creation. You look at it and watch it. You're like, this is of the hand of God. It's a testimony for all to see of God. But we should be declaring the praise of God. He's worthy. Number three, the plan of the sovereign. Verse number 11. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when He had looked around about upon all things... And now evening time was come. He went out with Beth, uh, onto Bethany with the twelve. It seems that you know this is a full day event here. And this this was all day. Left in the morning, went procession. Then he enters the temple, and then when he's done the temple, he heads back. It was a full day. He comes with another purpose here. He came to examine the city. Letter A, examine the city. Now, Mark doesn't mention this, but Luke, again, in Luke chapter 19, talks about as Jesus neared the city. I mean, obviously, he saw Jerusalem. He's 
on another all descending down. And, you know, our Lord can see the future, right? He knows all things. Nothing is hid from Him. And He knew the future of Jerusalem, and it wasn't pretty. He knew that within 40 years, the Romans would besiege this town. There would be a revolution, an uprising. It would not work against Rome. Rome would be conquering it again. And He knew that over 30,000 Jews would be crucified as the legions of Rome marched towards the city. He knew that the city would hold up for months while the people succumbed by the thousands to diseases and starvation. He knew he would know that they would throw the bodies of the dead over the sides of Jerusalem, over the walls. He knew that the Roman general Titus would see the pile of dead bodies laying outside the wall of Jerusalem and lift up his hands toward heaven to call God as a witness that this was not his fault. He didn't have to be this way. He knew that the Romans would conquer this city again and that the temple in the city would be utterly demolished. He also knew that these people would be scattered to the four winds of the earth. He knew all these things and more. And Jesus wept for that city. He cried. Now get in your, in your mind, just, just a few moments before, maybe a few hours before, the, the people are shouting, they're dancing, they're singing, they're praising God and Lord Jesus. They're excited. They're very vocal in their excitement. Just like I'm really vocal right now. It's loud. It's wonderful. Exciting. But the Lord's heart is broken. He knows that Israel will not receive Him. He knows that they would reject Him. He knows that He's heading to the cross. He knows they were slated for judgment. And in the midst of of, uh, jubilation, of excitement, Jesus weeps. Find out in Luke chapter 19. That's why He's called a man of sorrows in Isaiah 53.3. Have you ever wondered what Jesus sees when He sees our city? Ever thought about it? What does Jesus see when He sees the city of Brampton, city of Mississauga, city of Milton, city of Toronto? What does He see? We see industry. We see the airport. We see commerce. We see downtown where uh, the greatest uh, uh, financial hub in our country exists. And, and we see a growing population. We see great immigration. We, we see people from all around the world. We see, we hear of people who want to live in our city. That makes us feel a bit proud, doesn't it? It Makes me feel proud to hear people say, I want to be in Canada. I want to live there. It's an international city. It's an international region. But for the most part, they don't really care about God, do they? You know, we might see a prospect for church. Uh, We see friends, neighbors, saints and sinners. We see them. But what does Jesus see? You know what Jesus sees? He sees people suffering. You know, people can fool you. They'll show up in Tim Hortons. You might say, hey, how you doing? And they'll say, oh, I'm doing great. And inside their heart, they are broken. Their marriages are falling apart. Their children are rebelling against them. They just lost their job. Maybe they've just been diagnosed with cancer. Maybe they told you only got days to live or weeks to live. And they'll look in your face and say, oh, I'm doing great. How are you? Can't hide it from Jesus, can you? 
He knows the heart. Jesus sees those who are suffering this morning. He sees the people who are lost. They're, they're looking for all kinds of things. They're trying this. They're trying that. But they will not give their heart to Him. He sees the lost. He sees people who are going to hell. Rejecting Him. Oh, that we would see our city the way Jesus sees them. That there is lost people who need Him, who are suffering, who are hurting, and we have the answer. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. I don't have the answer. I can direct you to who does. Let me get, let me be your guide. Let me show you from God's Word who has the answer. He wept over Jerusalem. Uh, I'm going to let you know, folks, in a few weeks you're going to hear a message about prayer and how we need to pray for our city. Oh, I'm telling you right now, the Lord's working in my heart about how we need to reach our city. We need to weep for our city. There's so many people lost without Christ. And each week I get up here and I tell you, and it's, and it's, it's to me as much as to you, without Jesus they're lost. What are we doing about changing that? Jesus looked at the city of Jerusalem and He wept. He wept for them because He loves them. He loved Jerusalem. He loves all. You know, it's a special place in His heart. We need to have that same heart for our city. He came to examine the temple. Examine the temple. You see that in verse number 11. Into Jerusalem and then into the temple. The last thing Jesus did on that day was to visit the temple. He took the time to look at all things. He saw the beauty of the buildings. Now, I've seen some replicas. I've watched some videos and things about the, uh, the temple. and Man, it looks beautiful. It looks really neat. It looks amazing. But it would be so much different to be there, right? To actually see it. And Jesus walks through the corridors. Walks through the temple. He sees the gold, the silver, the trappings of religion. He sees the priests carrying out their rituals. He saw the people bringing their sacrifices. He sees it all, but the people never notice to see Him. Because who's in the temple right now? The Lord. The Lord is in the temple at that moment in time in verse 11. They saw Him. They saw His physical body. They didn't even know who He was. The King had entered the temple and they knew nothing of it. The Lord of glory had visited the house and they were ignorant of His presence. They had no, they had no place for Him in the temple. And He's the Savior, the Lamb of God. Wow. Thought about that this week as prayer and his message is like, man, that's amazing. He he showed up, nobody noticed he was there. And, and don't think that it was a down day for attendance at the temple. We're getting set for the Passover. It would have been a busy place. No one noticed. No one said a word. 
You know, I want the Lord to show up in our church. Amen. He's here today. What does he see? Does he see people who are coming looking for him? Does he look upon our congregation this morning and see hearts that desire to serve him? Hearts that want to be right with him? Hearts that want to go further for him with their lives? What does he see? Or does he see people coming through the doors and sitting here because this is what my dad told me to do. This is what my mom told me. This is tradition for us. Just going through the motions. Oh, I certainly hope that the Lord finds you here because you want to worship Him. You want to praise Him. And that you're not here just to be caught up that Sunday morning at 9 o'clock I go to Mississauga National Baptist Church because that's a good church. They preach the Word of God and they're friendly folks there. Uh, they try to help people who have needs. Do you see the difference? We do. We have a good church because we want to serve Jesus. It all goes back to Him, Amen. It's not, we're not doing this on our own. We're doing it because of Him. And if we're going to do it on our own, we might as well stop calling ourselves a church. Because you're just doing humanly things and human flesh, and the Lord's not going to bless that. We need His strength. We need to follow His Word. What does He see when He looks into our church today? Does He see someone here who's earnestly wanting to worship Him? Or does He see in your heart today that you don't know Him? as your personal Lord and Savior. Let me turn around the question a little bit. I'm almost done. What do you see? What do you see? What do you see when you see Him? Now, I know Jesus is not literally here. You can't see a physical body. But you know about Jesus. I've preached about Him lots of times. And I know Pastor Tisa. Tisa preached about Him for 20 years. And you know, if you know your Word of God, the Bible, you know about Jesus. What do you see? He's here. Are you here to worship Him? Or are you here to acknowledge Him? Or are you just here? This is church time. Zechariah told Israel to be ready. He said, Thy King cometh unto thee. They weren't ready, were they? They weren't ready. They were not prepared. A few received Him. But as a whole, the nation of Israel rejected their King. And they turned away from Him. You know, this morning, i got great news for you. This morning, you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can receive the wonderful gift of salvation this morning. You don't need to go another day. You don't need to go another hour without Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's good news. That's news that everybody needs to hear about. That's the news that a city needs to hear about. And I'm pretty sure there's news that people in this auditorium need to hear about too. Just got to receive it. He's here to restore those. Maybe you're here this morning and your heart's broken. Oh, you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You, you, you want to do what's right, but your heart's broken. Maybe some kind of tragedy in life. And I'm telling you right now, folks, there's a, we got to be praying for a lot of folks in our church right now, don't we? There's a lot of people sick and it's not like a cold. Okay, we got some serious uh, folks in our church, members of our church, facing some serious events right before them. We need to be praying for them. I'll be honest, a pastor, as a pastor Thursday, I got some news, uh, Brother Wyatt and folks in our church facing cancer and folks not well in our church. I mean, I was like, Lord, help us! Help us, Lord! We can't do this on our own! 
Oh, so glad Christian's here today. And he, he wasn't feeling very well. And I mean, it felt like a big tidal wave of sickness was coming through our church. It's like, Lord, restore us. Help us. Only you can do it. Only you. And I'm so glad to tell you that the Lord does restore. Amen. Testimony at this morning. They were saying, we don't know if Chris is going to live. I'm telling you, uh, Pastor Matt, me and him were at the Man Up Conference. And other men with us. We had a great time. And I was waiting any moment for them to come in the room and say, Pastor Wyatt has gone in the presence of the Lord. I was waiting. And then this morning, I got an email saying, he opened his right eye. That's amazing. It's only of the hand of God. He restores. He's the great physician. Maybe this morning you need to come to the altar and say, Lord, restore my heart. Restore my heart. I mean, along with that restoration, that refresh, I'm weary and will doing, Lord. I'm, I'm trying my best. I'm trying to reach this lost soul for Christ. I'm trying to reach them for you. And maybe a husband, a wife, a mom or dad, or son and daughter, whoever it is. Co-workers lost. Oh, Lord, I'm weary. You can come to the Lord today and be refreshed. Be refreshed. I'm so glad. You know, I try very hard as a pastor to be there for you. I really believe that's part of my job is to be there for you. I mean, I can't be there if I don't know there's a problem, right? And I don't read minds. I try my best to be there for you, but you know what? Jesus does it so much better. He's here for you. He loves you. He cares for you. He's here for you. The question is, what will you do with Him? What will you do with Him? And that answer only you can answer. Behold the King. What will you do with the King?